Are you tired of working with generic IT providers that rely on you to be the expert? Arc IT goes beyond just fixing your tech headaches. They specialize in proactive IT management, BIM support, and data security for your architecture firm. The team at Arc IT gets your tech, so you can focus on doing your best work. Whether you're a small firm of 10 or a growing practice with 50 or more employees, unleash the full potential of your creative vision with Arc IT. Visit getarcit.com and schedule your free IT assessment today. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our generous sponsors, BetterHelp and Arcat.com. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Leo McLeod, welcome back to Entree Architect Podcast. Hey, Mark, how are you? It's great to have you back. I loved talking to you. Every time that you and I talk, we resonate, right? We're we're on very similar tracks. We have very similar missions in the world. Right. And I always love bringing you on the show and talking about the things that you're doing. I know that you've recently written a new book, and I want to talk about the new book and, and do all the things, right? And so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. Yeah. All right. Let me introduce you to anybody who may not know who you are. Leo McLeod is a content and practice expert on leadership, coaching, and mentoring. His focus is on helping AEC firms with leadership development and transition. And Leo is the author of the new book, Coaching and Mentoring for Dummies, and From the Ground Up, Stories and Lessons from Architects and Engineers Who Learned to Be Leaders. So that's the first book. The new book is Coaching and Mentoring for Dummies. We talked about the first book, Lessons in Leadership from the Ground Up, it was called episode 486. So anybody wants to go back and hear Leo's origin story and listen a little bit about leadership and how architecture firms can focus on leadership, how to grow good leaders, that's the episode. You should go check it out, episode 486. So Leo, new book, Coaching and Mentoring for Dummies. Give me sort of an overview of the book and why do you write it and who is it for? So I was approached by... Wiley and Sons, the publishers of the whole Dummies series, after I wrote my first book, they said, hey, we've got a 20-year-old book that's been a bestseller, very popular, but it's 20 years old. And how would you like to update it? So I looked at it, and here's what I found is that the principles of coaching and mentoring, which I'll be talking about, are basically the same. They haven't changed. I had to go through the book and look at what areas are still valid and what are some things that need to be addressed. And I'll talk about that. It was the interesting exercise. But essentially, the book is a guidebook for people who are doers. They could be architects, they could be engineers, they could be project managers, who are really, they want to take a role of empowering people, getting the most from them, supporting them, which of course these days is even more important. And, you know, they don't want to be hovering over people. They don't want, there's two things they could be doing. One is you'd be saying, you know what, 
my job would be easier if I just didn't have to manage people and they're on their own. That's a laissez-faire. Wind them up, let them go. If there's problems, people will come to me. Okay, that doesn't work because then people don't feel supported. They don't get any direction. That's one sort of doer approach, doer manager approach. The other one is micromanaging and really telling people exactly what you want, hovering over in them, beginning on their case, not trusting them. And that doesn't work either. The coach manager role that's in this book, this is coaching for people who are professionals, who are doers, really adopts the mindset that people are adults, that they have their lives, that they can be trusted, but they need direction. And it's figuring out what kind of help they do need. It's not doing their work for them, but it's about being clear about what your job is as a manager and what's on your plate and what's on their plate that they have to do and seeing how you can support them. I would put it this way. It's similar to kind of being a coach. If you look at a coach, oh, I don't know, it doesn't matter, football, basketball, soccer, whatever your flavor of sport is, they're not on the field, right? Their job is to be on the sidelines, hoping things go okay. Like soccer is a great example because soccer is like, all they're doing is subbing people out. They're not yelling. They're not doing any kind of direction at all. It's like once the game starts, you know, their job is just sit there with their arms crossed, hoping it goes well. But their work is prior to that. It's doing all the drills. It's doing the skill development. It's figuring out where am I weak on my team? Where am I strong on my team? Who's getting along? Who do we need to recruit? Where are the holes? And what skills do people need? What skills do they need? What kind of coaching or mentoring do they need from some people to be stronger players, maybe to be more resilient, maybe to watch their anger, or maybe to become actually more aggressive? All that skill development prior to the game. Once the game goes, hey, you know, they're executing. It's all that skill development. That's coach's job. And it's sort of, there's a similar parallel with being a coach manager. You're not sitting there helping people do their work. What you're doing is you're giving them the skills. You're finding out what do they need, where are they weak, and you're guiding them. And you're kind of pushing them, but you're supporting them too. So that's basically kind of an overview of what the book is. It covers how to give feedback, how to help people develop their careers, understanding their motivation, delegating effectively, asking questions. It's got a whole new chapter on emotional intelligence. The chapter that was really undeveloped was one on diversity, which of course is you know huge these days. So I spent time on that. There wasn't a chapter on really understanding how quickly things are changing. There wasn't a chapter on working with different generations. So there were some things that I added. The area of mentorship, I think, is a more evolved subject than was previously thought. So there's some fine-tuning I did, but a lot of the basic concepts of how to understand how to support people, to get the most out of them, and not just to get the most out of them, but to make them happy, right, are still legitimate. And they're still sound. So it was a fun challenge. Would you say that coaching and mentoring is a requirement for successful business? Or is it just sort of something that if you want to take it to the next level, you could add this to your management skills? Well, I'd like to say that it's a requirement, but I've seen a lot of firms operating just fine, <laughs> just fine without you know management that's particularly good and on EQ. There are a lot of companies just seem to make it. You know, they're not asking me for my advice or training. They're either 
letting people kind of do their own thing and not worrying about it and hoping it works out okay, or they're micromanaging them. But in today's climate, where talent is really a scarce resource, it's tantamount to success to say, look, how do I retain the best people? How do I keep them in their seats? So coaching and mentoring, I think, is actually more important than it ever has because it's all about the people. And that's very challenging these days. Yeah, that's a big, big hurdle that many architects are dealing with right now. They have lots of work, but they can't find people, good people to work for them. And when they do find people, it's hard to retain them. And so coaching and mentoring is one of the ways that you can keep people in their seats, like you said, because people want to feel acknowledged. They want to feel valuable. Yeah. They don't want you to just sort of let you go do your thing. They want to understand how they can do things better. Can you explain the difference between coaching and mentoring? Yeah, it's a good question. Because frankly, I had to kind of wrestle with that myself in the book because there's a gray area there and it can often be confused. But let me tell you what I said in the book. So this is basically, this is not an absolute. It's not like there's there's coaching and they're mentoring and they're really different and don't confuse them. No, they work together a lot. Right. That's where it can be confusing. But let me give you kind of an initial response to that. Coaching is really about performance and it's usually about a short-term situation. Like I need somebody to really produce error-free documents. And I need to give them feedback so they can do that because we've got the deadline. I need to be able to depend on them, right? So it's very task-oriented. Or somebody needs to be more active in business development. They need to learn how to interview more effectively. Okay, I need to coach them or someone else needs to coach them in order to develop that skill towards a specific agenda. Okay, mentoring is, generally speaking, on the agenda of the person. Okay, so it is the employee. The employee is driven by what the employee needs. There's not an agenda that it's going to be going anywhere. This person is a support for wherever they're at. And a lot of times, those things are not oriented towards achieving a specific goal so much. It's maybe having somebody be as a sounding board, sharing their wisdom, talking about what they would do in a certain situation. Again, it's more of a longer haul. You know, I use the example in the book that with an architect, let's say you've got a fairly junior architect who really needs some, now you could call it mentoring, but they really need some coaching because they need some coaching on how to do their job. Okay. So you're either going to do it, you're going to pair them with somebody else. However, you're also realizing that this person is really struggling in their position. They want to feel respected. They want to feel like they're part of the team. And you're thinking, maybe I'm their manager. I could be effective in that. But I really feel like they could have a mentor that could be a safe place for them to kind of just talk about their own career and where they're at. And that person could be a peer. It could be someone like, this is a great example of where mentoring is not like, hey, let's go get a senior person who's ready to retire. And that could be the mentor. That's kind of the older model. You know, a lot of the younger generation are more comfortable with each other so let's find somebody who can be a support who is, you know, maybe around the same age. Not necessarily, it could be older. It's just that it doesn't matter who the person is. And mentoring oftentimes is that safe place to go 
to be able to kind of talk about, am I in the right career? What should I be doing here? What would you do in this situation? Coaching is more about how to do this job specifically. So let's put together a little scenario. If I have a small firm, maybe there's five employees, so six people total. I have a principal and five employees, and I'm not doing coaching yet. And I really do feel that there's a value to it and I need to do it. How do I get started? What are sort of the ways that I can sort of set the table so everybody can be on board for this and it becomes this very valuable process that we use to help to develop our practice? So the first thing I would do is I would schedule time away from the office. Maybe it's coffee, maybe it's a beer, maybe it's lunch, whatever. My agenda for that meeting would just be to try to understand each employee just about their lives, like where are they going, where they feel like they're stuck. I use this analogy of calling it, what's your mountain, what's your three-year vision, personally and professionally, where are you going, where you have to feel like, like, you know, three years from now, you'll be happy with your progress. It's kind of a nice snapshot. So one-on-one meetings. Yeah, one-on-one is first. So one-on-one is first to try to understand a little bit more about this person and their goals but also very interested in learning about where they want to develop and maybe what projects they want to take on. Maybe they want to be an associate principal. They want to go to the next level. In three years, they want to be doing bigger teams. It's like, okay, well, then the next question would be like, well, how comfortable are you with that? You know, are you ready for that challenge? You know, how can I support you now? So one is really keeping kind of an inventory of that first initial conversation. And the second part, and this is where the book talks about it, you're not setting goals for employees. You're setting them with them. It's not for them, it's with them. So now the next part would be like, okay, now we understand your career goals. Why don't you take a run at where you feel like you need to develop some skills? And then let's sit down and talk about it. Again, I'm not going to tell you what you need to work on. Maybe in my mind, I've got my own ideas, but I'm really going to fight the urge to tell people this is what you need to do. Like you need to learn how to delegate better. It's like they'll come to it if you give them time. So it's, the second part is really patience about helping them develop a plan, which is what I call a development plan. Okay, this is a development plan. Then what we're going to do is we're going to revisit this development plan, maybe very briefly, maybe monthly, really quickly, and quarterly more in depth. And we'll figure this out as we go. Don't overthink this thing. As you go along, you'll start to understand how you become more specific or how to make it more meaningful. And so will the person. They'll start to be putting the pieces together. You know, with architecture, well, with any construction project, unless it's something like a tenant improvement or something, these projects are fairly long. Let's say you're on a school project or a multi-family or multi-use. You know, these are like, 18 months, two years, three-year projects. So the challenge there is to be able to advance somebody along in their skill development where they actually have real things to do that may not be within where they want to go. It's like, I want to be on a larger team. It's at least understanding where somebody wants to go and being creative about how to sort of coach them and have them be responsible for their own goals. The other thing I would say is to try to encourage them to get support which is what, how I call mentorship. It's like, where do they feel like they need support? You're part of that as their manager, but it's not all on your shoulders. There could be peers, which I think are tremendous. They could be people outside the firm. They could be people who are retired. They could be anywhere. They could be in a networking group. They could 
be part of AIA. AIA is a great way to kind of build your own network where you can reach out and get some support for the issues that you have. I'm doing a program now with uh, American Council for Engineering Companies. We've got 24 emerging leaders, and these people are really forming bonds with each other, and they're mentoring each other on the same problems they're dealing with. So I'm a big proponent of that. But that's how I would start to address your question. I would meet with people. I'd find out. I'd work with them in terms of developing some goals and some developmental goals. And then I would meet with them regularly to see how that's going. And then I would try to get out of their way and empower them to say, look, this is what you want to do. The best way you do is for me to be on the sidelines, not be on the field. And let's talk about what we can do off the field. But when you're on the field, you're on your own. So do those one-on-one meetings and then have your development plan, which is guided by the employee. They, they sort of set the goals right. and then you meet with them and go through it and understand yeah. you want to give them feedback as well, right? So that development plan becomes something that's valuable to both the firm as well as the employee. And then you're revisiting that on a monthly or quarterly basis, right? Yeah. I think where a doer manager versus a coach manager, where they differ is in how they spend their time. Doer managers won't have those meetings that I'm talking about. They will just will not find time. They won't find time to do the check-ins. And the problem is then everything becomes crisis-oriented. Everything becomes about doing the work. Right. Everything becomes like, oh, we got a new project. You got to do this. You got to do that. Everything's hair on fire. And you haven't built in the time that's required as a coach manager to really focus on the people. And I know the first reaction people say is, well, I don't have time. And that's where I think the book also is really instrumental in not just helping the employee, but helping yourself be better about what should I be focusing on? Just, you know, you and I were talking, Mark, earlier about as you're going on, you're realizing what are things that you should do and what are things you shouldn't do, right? I mean, it's like, no, I mean, what's the best use of my time? I'm always having to ask my questions. So back to your analogy of this firm, you know, it's not just the job of the person who's owning it to now not only do all the work and be the lead, but now to manage all the people. You know, you need to act smartly. And the book's got strategies on how to delegate, give feedback, find time, be intentional, you know, work on the things that are important, plan your day and all those things. You find the time that you need. Yeah. I think it's very important, right? If this is something you haven't yet done and you're trying to establish it, it is something that you need to be very intentional about, right? That you need to make it clear to everybody that this is something that we're going to put into action and make it work. And so that means you need to set time on your calendar and block it out. Yeah. So you also are available when those times come, right? So you set that meeting, that monthly meeting, that quarterly meeting, you set that up with the employee, get it on your calendar and don't miss it. It becomes a part of the system that you're developing. So intentionality is super important. Let's take a quick break to say thank you to our sponsors for their support of this episode. Architects, listen up. Is something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? Regardless if you have a clinical mental health issue like depression or anxiety, or if you're just a human who lives in this world and is going through a hard time, therapy can give you the tools to approach your life in a very different way. I know this community of small firm architects very well, and I see, I see many of you struggling. That's why I reached out to this episode's sponsor, BetterHelp. 
BetterHelp is a platform that makes finding a therapist easier because it's online. It's remote. And by filling out just a few questions, BetterHelp can match you with a professional therapist in as little as a few days. It's easy to sign up and get matched with a therapist. There's a link in the show notes. It's betterhelp.com architect. Just use that link, betterhelp.com architect. Clicking that link helps support this podcast, but it also gets you 10% off your first month of BetterHelp. So you can connect with a therapist and see if it helps you. If you need someone to talk to, consider online therapy with BetterHelp. Click the link in the show notes or visit betterhelp.com architect. That's betterhelp.com architect. Thank you to BetterHelp for supporting this podcast and for supporting our community of small firm architects. For over 30 years, RCAT has been providing AEC professionals with high-quality and up-to-date building product information. Today, RCAT.com is much more than a product catalog, with BIM, CAD, and specifications created in collaboration with manufacturers. Beyond that, RCAT.com also offers lead data, continuing education resources, newsletters featuring the latest projects and products, and, don't forget, detailed podcasts. Artcat.com is truly the one-stop shop for everything architecture. Try it out. Go to Artcat.com. That's A-R-C-A-T.com. What about feedback? At these meetings, right? You're going to have these monthly meetings. Both sides, right? Maybe they're doing a great job. How do you give them praise so they know that they're doing something well? And on the other side, how do you give them constructive feedback when they're failing, when something's not going as well as it should? Let's talk about the positive part, because a lot of times people get kind of hung up on feedback in terms of negative stuff. So let's talk about what positive feedback looks like. And when I talk about this in the book, I want to call it more constructive feedback. What's that mean? Constructive feedback is that it is helpful for the person's development. It's not positive or negative because it could be either. But constructive feedback is meaningful. What's that mean? If I'm going to give you positive feedback, I could say, hey, great job, Mark. I appreciate the effort. Like, it's a little flat. Yeah, I still get points for saying that. But if I said something like, Mark, that approach that you took on that project, that wouldn't occur to me. Or the way you dealt with that client, that was nice. I saw what you wanted to say in that meeting and I saw you kind of zip it. I understand how that's hard for all of us, right? But I think you really did a great job of not getting unglued when the contractor started challenging us on the fee in front of the client. I really appreciate that. Being really specific. Yeah. They can see it. It's not hard to do, but if you can be specific, you're like, oh, yeah, okay, that's great. Yeah, thank you, you know. Which takes observation. You have to be aware of those things when they're happening. Yeah, right. There's a whole chapter on emotional intelligence, which is really about not just your own awareness, but awareness of other people. Because to me, it's like, that's where it's all about. If you can learn how to be aware of yourself, aware of other people, that is really the key to a lot of this coaching. That's why I dedicated a whole chapter for it. So it's important to be specific in the positive feedback. It's also really important to give feedback in terms of the negative feedback. Now, I have my own take on the negative feedback. I think that, number one, I don't do the sandwich. I don't do the, hey, you're doing a great job. However, you know, there's this thing I want to talk about, but you're still doing a great job. Just like say it 
as quickly and as cleanly as possible, get in and out, and then it's done and move on. And if you get better at it really quick, said, you know what, Mark, I don't have time to mark this up. You need to work on it more, right? (laughs) Oh, okay, boom, one sentence, one sentence feedback, or we can't let the client wait for us when we have these meetings. You need to show up on time, boom. What you're doing in both situations is you're leading with the business issue. And if you can always have feedback around that this is not in the best interest of the client or the work that we're doing, then it's not a personal thing, right? Right. We got to be on budget here. I got to know where we're at. Like somebody was telling me the other day, he said, what do you do about these people who are, they call them cowboys, people who don't want to check in and just want to do work on their own. Like, leave me alone. I got it. Right. Employees, right? Yeah. You know, what you can say, feedback there is saying, I'm glad you got it. That's great. I need some reassurance because this is a big project. I don't know where you're at. I need more feedback from you. That's all. Period. Just make it super short. Make it about the issue. Don't make it about them. Don't make it about you. Don't make it personal. That makes sense? Yeah, for sure. Make it clear. Don't make it personal, I think, is an important statement that you just said. Don't make it soft. I mean, it's like, this isn't an emotional conversation. We have a business problem. We're both adults and this needs to happen in order for that to happen. That's all. Right. How do you establish accountability, right? So if you're going to put together this development plan and you're going to do these check-ins on monthly basis, deep dives on quarterly basis, how do you sort of establish some sort of accountability within the employee in between those monthly meetings? Well, so there's, Two things I would say. One is regular feedback. Okay. Make it really short and simple, really direct. That's on an ongoing basis. As soon as you can, so they get the immediacy that something happened and they're off target. Now that's one thing. On the monthly, the monthly or quarterly, then you talk about how these things are not helping them in their own goals. In other words, don't try to have a big long serious, heavy conversation about, hey, this isn't helping you becoming an associate principal when you hand in your work late. Like save that for a different conversation. Save it for your quarterly conversation where you can spend more time and the agenda be like, okay, let's look at your goals. Right. You feel like you're doing. Where did you feel like you hit it out of the park? Where you're still struggling? Where you're challenged? Now, at some point, if they don't cough it up, I'm going to give them feedback. Like, here's one thing on my mind. We've had a conversation about you being late and I've been giving you feedback on it so you get it. I just want to make sure you understand this directly ties you getting to your own goals. This is an obstacle for you. You can certainly choose your own hours, but it's not helping you in setting your own goals and reaching where you want to go. That's how I would do that. I would have sort of the bigger conversations less frequently and the more quicker feedback stuff more frequently. I've seen differences in the older generation versus the generation coming into the profession, right? They have different mindsets and different needs and desires in their overall profession, right? When they set those development plans for themselves, they're going to be different depending on their experience level, but also the generation, right? They have different requirements for their own lives. Yeah. When you're working with maybe the coach is an older generation and the employee might be a younger generation and the younger employee might value time and 
time off and more personal things and wants to have a little bit more flexibility, wants to have a little bit more freedom, which may or may not be in conflict with the goals set for the firm, right? The firm needs to have certain things happen. Do you have any recommendations on how to best address that through coaching? So I would address it. Let me kind of talk about the last thing you said, which is the firm has needs. There are some expectations or some contractual things we signed on for. And you've already had a conversation with the employee about what needs to be done, how it's done, and under what timeline. I would loosen up on that because if they want to work at 11 o'clock or they want to work on a Saturday or they figure out a way of doing it. I mean, look, so many people are working remotely and they're working creatively and it's working for a lot of firms. So how they go about doing stuff is less important than if they're doing it. So I would focus on the meeting the deadline stuff. Yes. So that's my first response is that. And the second one is, someone mentioned this the other day, that I use this idea of deposits and withdrawals, right? You can make deposits, you can know, shift your withdrawals. And I asked this emerging leader, I said, well, how do you make deposits with your team, with your staff? And these are people who are probably in this age group you're talking about. They're in their 30s. A lot of them, I'm going to guess, probably in their 30s. So that means they're managing people in their 20s, probably. And one of the things that they said is, hey, check in with your team about their capacity to do things before you just dump stuff on their plate. Yeah. Look, I'm not saying it's not an issue that people don't want to work overtime anymore. They don't want to put in the hours that maybe boomers did. That's just a reality. I think there's a big shockwave throughout the whole industry where people are saying, you know, COVID happened, things got disrupted, life is short, people are leaving the industry, great resignation, people are adjusting their schedules. There's a big shift in priorities. And the younger generation was already kind of leaning that way of life is short anyway, and I want more work-life balance. So unfortunately, and there's not an easy solution to this. It just happens to come at a time where work is still coming really hard and people are still busy. It's crazy. It's like, I would think there would be enough. Well, things are kind of slowing down because the capital is kind of drying up. So projects are slowing down, but they're still, from my experience with my clients, they're still plenty busy. So back to what I'm saying, you know, there's some things that you can do. You can spend time getting to know your employees. You make a point there. That's a deposit. You ask them what their workload is. You give them the professional development, the skill development. These are all things which are deposited in the account, which means that at some point you may have to add to withdraw and say, I need you to do this. I need you to do that, even though those are things you don't want to do. But I think it is a balance. It's a balance of understanding that people don't want to work crazy hours. And it also, I know we're kind of going into another subject here, but I think it's important is that I do think it's really important for firms to be selective about how much work to bring in. There's this mentality, and I saw it in 08, right, with the recession. It's like when it hit, there were so many firms that lost business, they lost people. So when the industry started to come back, what happened is that people had this post-traumatic stress syndrome, and they just didn't say no to anything because they didn't know when the shoe was going to drop again, right? So they just said yes to everything and they just worked crazy hours. And I think COVID kind of did a similar kind of thing. It's like there's a tendency in the industry to 
make hay when you can and continue to work really hard for those people who have been in it. But people are kind of coming in in their 30s and their 20s. They don't have that experience. They didn't know what it was like. They didn't go through a recession. So they're living for now. But my point in saying this is that really question what you're saying yes to. I've had some firms, it's been interesting. Some of my clients are turning down work. They say, we don't have the capacity. I'm sorry, we'd like to take this on. Instead of saying yes, that I think is a strategic mistake to just say yes to work that you don't have the capacity to do just because you're scared that that client might not come back or things might dry up. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and then you end up putting all of that weight on the shoulders of your employees, which starts to degrade the morale of your firm and the whole thing starts to come crumbling down. I think earlier what you were talking about with the older generation and the younger generation it goes back to that one-on-one meeting, right? Yeah. To make sure that you have that conversation. And then not just once, but check-ins, right? So right. that establishes a relationship, right? It's not just, I come to work, you come to work, we do our work and we go home. Right. If we actually know each other and I as a manager knows my employees' goals in life, right? And the things that they're doing and the situations that they might have, both positive and negative in their own personal lives and their own families, if you understand those things, when that push for more flexibility or more freedom in the work that they do comes, you can do that with much more empathy, right? Much more knowledge of what that person is dealing with outside of the firm. So it's not just, oh, they just want to go play Frisbee, right? Maybe they're going to care for an elderly parent, Mm -hmm. right? Or whatever it is. And so understanding the personal lives of the people that work for you is important, those goals that you talked about right at the beginning to establish that relationship and be able to do those deposits and those withdrawals of goodwill and progress. Those things goes both ways, right? The employee can continue to do above and beyond. So when it's time to take a withdrawal, look at all these deposits I've made. And the same thing with you as a manager to the employee, you know, the more deposits you make through business development or personal development or professional development you have for your employees, helping them, coaching them. Those are all adding to the relationship, helping to build a stronger bond between you or employees. The way that you said that is true. You're essentially adding to the bank account. Coaching and mentoring is a way of saying, I'm here, right? I'm interested in you. I'm interested in your development. The other point I wanted to make, and this is, it's kind of a key point in the book, is that I think it's important early on to have this relationship with your clients for them to understand that the difference between this job and their career is that they should be heavily invested and interested in their own career. It's not your job as you know their manager or the owner of a company to make all that happen. Their career is their business. I call it career self-reliance. Coaching, it's like, hey, do you want to be a better player? Do you want to be a better employer? Do you want to be an architect? Where's your motivation? Let me help you get there. But ultimately, it's on them. It's on them to do the work and to find the motivation. It's not all the work of the manager to make that person happy and to do all that work and provide all those resources. There's some people, younger people that I have coached where they say, you know, I'm really frustrated because I'm not getting the mentoring that I need. People are so busy. I'm like, okay, get us somewhere else. If it's that important to you, there are lots of ways to find out how to do anything. 
I mean, be creative. I mean, if you really want it, this is your career. Because you know what? You could say you're frustrated here. You go to another firm and you run into that too. So figure out a way of getting it done. Don't be so reliant on the company to be fully responsible for your career. It's your career. Yeah. The book is titled Coaching and Mentoring for Dummies. That's written by Leo McLeod. Before we wrap things up here, Leo, I would love for you to answer. You've answered this before, but I'd love to get your take on it today. What's one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? I think in short, because there's lots of different ways that this can happen, show that you care about your people. It's a good answer. Period. And that means going out for coffee. It means having their back. It's taking interest in them. It's helping them with their development. It's being clear and saying direction. It's challenging them. The core of it is about showing that you care about them as people and as employees and you want the best for them. His name is Leo McLeod. You can learn more about Leo. You can check out the book and his other book, as well as the resources. He does coaching. He does facilitating. LeoMcLeod.com is the website to go learn all about the things that Leo is doing. Thank you, Leo, for joining us. Thank you for the work that you do in our profession to help firms across the profession to become better at the things that they do through leadership, coaching, through mentoring. I appreciate you and the work that you do. And thanks for coming by here today and sharing your knowledge at Entree Architect Podcast. I appreciate it, Mark. Thanks so much. If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a link with a friend. That is the best way to help us grow. And that's how we have grown to serve thousands of architects just like you. Share a rating, write a review, but most important, share a link to this episode that you just listened to. Go send it off to a friend. I'd really appreciate it. Thank you to all our sponsors for this episode. Links to the sponsors and all the resources that we discussed today in today's episode. They're all found at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. Entree Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network, the next evolution of interactive media and resources for the AEC community and beyond. You can now earn continuing education credits for listening to this podcast, Entree Architect Podcast. Select episodes are available for continuing education credit. Go learn more at gablemedia.com slash members. And if you are a small firm architect, listen up, architects. Join us today at Entree Architect Network, the worldwide organization for small firm entrepreneur architects. That's you with monthly business training, business resources, special session webinars, mastermind groups, and a thriving community of small firm architects. Your peers are there. Hundreds of them are there already. We will provide you with the support and the encouragement that you need to succeed. Hey, and this is super exciting. This is new, coming in 2024, Entree Architect Coaches. Yes, finally, after all these years, business coaching for small firm architects. It's coming to Entree Architect Network in early 2024. Join us. Try Entree Architect Network for free for 30 days. It's free for 30 days. Visit network.entrearchitect.com to learn more. That's network.entrearchitect.com to learn more. Try it. Come join us. Try it for 30 days. Thank you for listening to this episode of Entree Architect Podcast. My name is Mark R. LePage. Love, learn, and share what you know.
I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my One that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There's a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.